raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, you know him certainly for his work on ESPN. I believe in year number two as the play-by-play voice of the Carolina Panthers, Anish Sharaf joins us. Thank you very much, Anish, for the time. How you doing? Well, I'm doing good. You know, Panthers got a W. Um Season uh, finally had a little bit of glimmer uh, last, last weekend. <laughs> well, if you're looking for glimmer, you may not find it here either, Anish, to be quite honest with you. So not much glimmering going on in either places. I did want to ask you this. What number were you coming out of WHEN in Syracuse of guys that hit it big in sports broadcasting? Because that was like a springboard for a lot of folks, right? Well, WHEN was the uh, local clear channel station in town, and that was um, it no longer exists. But Adam Shine was there shortly right. before I was. Our student radio at Syracuse, WAER, is the one that's got the alumni list with Costas and Marv Albert and Marty Glickman. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, very low on that totem pole. <laughs> There's been a lot of other luminaries to come through. And, you know, somewhere in the um, – you know, also Rands, uh, you might find my name. I can't imagine how competitive that was being at, at, at Syracuse. Oh. I'm assuming that was as competitive as the, the sports products you guys were covering. You know what's amazing, and, and people don't believe me when I tell them this, that little cauldron, that student radio station that we had in my four years there, to date – that is the most competitive atmosphere I've been in. Even when you factor in the time in Bristol and ESPN and all the other places I've worked, far and away, that was the most competitive environment I've ever been a part of. And it was great because it brought out the best in all of us. We're all basically out there competing to do, you know, that one football game every week or that one or two basketball game every week. And and there's limited spots. And so, yeah, it's a race to the top and, Whoever can you know, get cleared first and can get those uh, primo spots when you're an upperclassman and then you're in a position hopefully to make the decisions, uh, as I was as a senior, and you get to do the assignments. But, yeah, it, <laughs> that place was a cauldron, man. It was a cauldron. Did you um, You think you lived your life as a normal college student? Like, I think about no. me at Indiana State, and it's I'm assuming it's a 180 <laughs> compared to how you went through college at Syracuse. No, I mean, it was wild. I look back on it, though. There were things that we got to do, right? My senior year, I'm sitting courtside at the NCAA tournament in Denver and Phoenix during the school year, and you know, I look about four or five seats down from me, and there's Jim Nance calling a game, and here we are as students calling a game. You get to go call a Syracuse-Miami football game at the Orange Bowl, Syracuse-Virginia Tech at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, and when you're 20, 21 years old, I don't think you really appreciate how hard it is to do that again, how hard it is to come back and just call a game even at your alma mater. And it's funny because this Friday I'm calling a game at Syracuse, Syracuse BC on ESPN2. And every time I now go back with ESPN to call a game there, you, you kind of say, man, I didn't take this <laughs> seriously enough as a student in the sense that I didn't appreciate how hard this opportunity is uh, now that I've been doing it for a long time. See, I mean, you had to be, to get to where you are right now, 
I mean, it just it doesn't happen. I mean, you had to be as focused for your time at Syracuse as anybody in that program. That just that seems interesting to me because you probably you were resigned to the fact that you could not be in that program if you wanted to reach the levels in which you had dreamt. You could not be an average and normal type of college student, I would assume. Yeah, and you know you see it from the guys in front of you, behind you. When I was in school, Andrew Catalan was a few years ahead of me. Carter Blackburn, Damon Amendolara, you know, guys who've made it in this business. And the class beneath me, the junior class, was Jason Benetti. And so you see all these guys who are incredibly talented, and it forces you to up your game and, and really critique your work and ask for outside feedback. You know, we live in a world now where nobody wants to hear – oh, you're not good enough, or you need to work harder, or you need to be better at this. Everybody wants reassurance, right? Everybody wants to be told, hey, uh, give me the perfect uh, feedback here. I have to live in my little curated world, right? Uh, it was different back then. Like We wanted to be ripped apart. We wanted to be told, no, this, this is terrible. You need to do better because that's how we felt we got better. It was a lot of tough love, but uh, I'm grateful for it. Yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking about what all you did going over, you know, did, being next to Jim Nance and doing football games at the Orange Bowl. And I once called LSU and Indiana State from Baton Rouge from a payphone in the concourse because the equipment didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but see, those, you know, those, those lessons teach you something down the road, right? you got to figure it out. Yeah, we, well, we figured that out all right, so there's no doubt about that. Uh, Anisha Roth joins us. He's the voice of the Carolina Panthers. First win last week. Um, anything you're leaning on that could also transition into this matchup coming up on Sunday with the Colts and the Panthers? You know, it's the obvious, but it starts with Bryce Young. Uh, the last couple of weeks he's played turnover-free, really even the Detroit game where he had a couple of mistakes. One, the receiver ran a wrong route. It led to an interception. The other was a screen pass where Aiden Hutchinson just made a tremendous play to intercept the pass with one hand. Bryce Young has started to play pretty well. And when you watch how much the Panthers put on him, the checks at the line, the calls at the line, it's not the center doing that. He's doing that. He had one play on the game-winning drive. It was a third and long the Texans have been bringing pressure. You know, the previous couple of drives, they've been getting home and getting into the backfield and had a few sacks. And he audibles out of a play, and they throw a tunnel screen to Adam Thielen, who picked up about 10 or 11 yards, and all of a sudden third and long turned into fourth and two, and then they convert to fourth and two. But that was Bryce Young. That was Young seeing it. Um, I work with Jake DeLome when I'm calling these games. And the one thing Jake, as a former quarterback, continues to point out is just how well Bryce Young is seeing the field. And he's not making the same mistake over and over. And I get it. C.J. Stroud was taken one spot behind him, and Stroud has been you know, better through nine games. He's put up better numbers. He's played better. I, I totally get that. We get lost in that comparison, and sometimes – you forget that, hey, Bryce is progressing really well, and they're both rookie quarterbacks in this league. Bryce Young, and I've been saying this for weeks, he is about to have a game, probably in this next month, where he's going to put up wow numbers, and you're going to go, oh, okay, that's why they took him number one. And given what's going on with Indy's secondary, I wouldn't be surprised if it's this Sunday. Yeah, well, they're having open tryouts for it, I think, this afternoon. So, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it could be uh, bad. And we've seen the last two, individually speaking, with Tony Brown last week and then Daryl Baker Jr. 
Anish, you go back two weeks ago against uh, Cleveland, and it has been awful, and it's not prepared for anything. Juju Brents, the rookie, they were leaning on him. He's going to miss some more time. So, yeah, if there was ever an opportunity at home for this this offense and Bryce Young really to step out and do something major, I would think in the crosshairs would be this Colts defense, in particular the secondary coming up on Sunday. Yeah, and, and the reality is for the Panthers, they have not had – uh, a real playmaker in the receiving game with the exception of Adam Thielen. Uh, DJ Chark was hurt going into the season, hasn't really been a factor. Terrace Marshall was a breakout candidate going into the season. Uh, recently, his agent and Terrace were granted permission to go seek a trade because he really had been getting the time that he wanted and there was no trade to be had. I don't know what the market was for him. And Marshall has you know, not really progressed the way we thought he would. Jonathan Mingo is still a rookie. He's coming off his best game. Uh, I think there's some hope there. Hayden Hurst, who was signed in the offseason as a tight end, uh, is really now the number two or number three tight end. He's been passed on the depth chart. And the same with Miles Sanders, who was a receiving back, who could supposedly be a three-down back, coming over from Philly, 1,200 yards rushing last year. He had two carries last time out, and Chuba Hubbard has supplanted him as the number one running back. And the way Raheem Blackshear played last week, Miles probably right now is at best the two or the three running back on this team. So um, facing a team that's banged up defensively, given all the injuries the Panthers have had, I think they're probably licking their chops a little bit. It might be a chance for some of these receivers to create some separation somebody outside of Adam Thielen to have a big day. Uh, Anisha Roth is the voice of the Carolina Panthers. Of course, the Colts and Panthers coming up on Sunday. And uh, we'll get you started with that on the Colts pregame huddle beginning at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Anisha on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, Frank Reich, just about this time a year ago, uh, was fired again in season uh, by the Colts. They go with Jeff Saturday, uh, somebody obviously you work with, I'm sure, at some point while at ESPN. Um, And that didn't work out either. But we saw how things had gone for this team. Um, until last week, and they got that first win. How much of the heat did that first win take off of Frank Reich at that moment over the weekend? You know, it's interesting. I think maybe some. I think it had more to do with the previous five years when Frank wasn't here. Uh, This is a franchise, if you just trace their history arc, they had a really good run during Cam Newton's prime Cam takes that hit from T.J. Watt, 2018, never really the same after. Thomas Davis retires. Luke Keekley retires. You bring in new ownership, new head coach, Matt Rule. They had their aging core from 2015 all basically subside. And then it was retreat quarterback after retreat quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, trying to figure this thing out. Um And you've gone five years in a row now without the postseason. And so fans had run thin on patience. And you can kind of understand that. So this year, new quarterback, new head coach. There's a lot of buzz. There's excitement. And then you start 0-6. People were grumbling. And that's, I think, again, not so much, hey, a first-year coach taking his lumps early on with a new team, new system, all that stuff. It was more so hey, here we go again, or does this feel like here we go again after what we've had to put up with for the last five, six years? So um, I I think, you know, some things changed. Frank Wright gave up play calling during the bye week, and 
Thomas Brown called the plays last week for the first time. And the first couple of drives didn't really do much, but they started getting into a groove. If you look at the final score, you would think, yeah, not a great offensive game by either team. But there were some long drives by both teams in that game, and and it it shrunk the game quite a bit. Um, But their offense actually moved the ball, I would say, probably more consistently than in any other game this season. So there, there were some positives. And again, I think just to drop that albatross off your neck and get that first win, that's probably got to be a relief for the QB and, and certainly for a head coach. Hey, Anish, do you ever get to work with Jeff Rickard while in Charlotte, North Carolina? <laughs> uh, I don't think I've been on his show, but I, I, I do run into him in the press box quite a bit. Make fun of him because he rides his vroom vroom all the time, his bike. He's, <laughs> I think he's like Lance Armstrong or something. All right, so let me ask you this. Does he do the whole get-up, you know, where oh, he's, he's complete. like Lance Armstrong, too? Yeah, I mean, you would think that he's not pedaling through Carmel. He's pedaling through the mountains in the Tour de France. That's what he thinks. See, yeah. I don't know about you. I see that, and I just roll my eyes. So the folks <laughs> out there, because I've got a bike, and I'll go ride my bike, and I do it in a T-shirt and yeah. gym shorts. Yeah. I don't need I don't need the whole get up. I don't need to look like Jan Ulrich or Lance Armstrong <laughs> because again, I'm pedaling through suburban Charlotte, suburban Charlotte versus like as you said the Pyrenees and I see these folks and I'm going like you walked out of the house did you like how do you do that? But then a lot of people do that. So I yeah. I, I, I don't know. Nah. I don't know. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, he's uh I think he's head to toe in Lecoq Sportif from 1991. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, man, I appreciate the conversation. That was very enjoyable. The best of luck to you. Congratulations again on your number two of your gig there in Charlotte with the Carolina Panthers. And uh, hopefully we see you down the line sometime, maybe talk some more sports, maybe not so much about teams that aren't really good right now, but some other stuff, too. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, too. Take care. It's Anish Sharaf right there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Uh, Pacers probably without guys I haven't seen just yet for sure. Maybe Boston without Jalen Brown. Maybe we'll find out something right now and then some. We'll set it up for you with the Pacers and the Celtics from Boston. And Evan Sidery joins us as he always does. Forbes Sports, you can find him there. Sub Stack Inc., you can find his work there as well. Does a lot of basketball writing and observing, commentating for both of those publications. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. We're going to have some banged-up teams on both sides tonight, in your estimation? It certainly sounds like it, John. Thanks again for having me on here. It sounds like from Rick Carlisle at practice yesterday, he said it'd be, quote-unquote, questionable at best that Tyrese Halliburton or Benedict Matherin play tonight. And especially now with this new league cup they're implementing that every team's be playing in here on Friday – 
if that really matters to this Pacers team to make an impact in that League Cup uh, matchup with the Cleveland Cavaliers, I'd be very surprised if we see Tyrese Halliburton or Benedict Mathurin play in that. I don't think uh, there's a, really a need to rush those guys back. And I would be surprised on Boston's side, too, if Jalen Brown plays tonight. So I would expect a lot of Jason Tatum, a lot of Drew Holiday, and a lot of Chris Porzingis from the Celtics. Hey, Evan, I'm going to use you for this, too, uh, because uh, some things I know uh, about this in-season tournament other things I do not. We'll double back to the Boston conversation in a second. But explain to our listeners out there the whole inner workings of this in-season tournament, especially how it affects the Pacers. Yeah, so the in-season tournament, there I believe there's six different groups of five teams spread across there, and it's like a, it's like the soccer tournaments you see all around the world and the World Cup matchups, so group play. Really, the NBA and Adam Silver implemented that this season. It's the debut year of the NBA tournament for that. And really, it's about just those five teams scoring off against one another. And your record at the end of that is going to turn it to move on to the next round of that phase and move on eventually into the final four of this tournament, which would take place in mid-December in Las Vegas. So it'll be an interesting little trial run for the NBA here. They're going to be doing some games on Fridays, some on Tuesdays, I believe, as well, over the next six weeks. So it'll be a fun little little wrinkle here. I think the Pacers are actually um, could be a surprise little team that makes some noise in that. Yeah, um, do you like the idea of this, or, or or is it kind of wait and see pattern for all of us? Really, I do like it because it incentivizes more of these teams like the Pacers to that haven't really experienced these kind of high leverage moments in a while to go in there and kind of make a statement. And, and these young, hungry teams can do that. Maybe the veteran teams that the championship contenders like the Phoenixes of the world, the Milwaukee's. They might not take it as seriously as these younger teams, but I think it's a good little litmus test to really let every team in the NBA experience these kind of high leverage moments. So I'm really in favor of it. I think more competitive basketball, the better, to be honest. Now, do you think that that all these players are going to take that as, as seriously as the NBA hopes they do? I think with the financial and the financial gain from it, I believe uh, the winning team wins a couple million dollars for each player at the end of that. I think maybe that could help out a little bit. But I am kind of curious to see how these true competitive teams at the top of the conferences will go because I would not be surprised if we saw like in Nikola Jokic, for example, and Denver sit out a League Cup game because Denver doesn't need to win a League tournament. They're all about going for a repeat of the championship. So I think those teams would be the interesting ones to watch. But the young and upcoming teams, really the Pacers fit right into that category. They're a team I think could really benefit from something like this. I just, yeah, I just wonder the investment that some of these these older school made just ton of cash and and really with those that play on teams that just are not going to have a chance not a shot in the dark at making this money i'm just kind of curious the on the court investment these players are going to have for this yeah it might not be a hundred percent and that is going to be i think why the the league's testing this out i mean they're not fully locked into this after the next couple of years i think this is going to be an important kind of next couple of year trial run for the NBA to see if every team takes it serious and then they make some tweaks along the way at the end of it to see if more more teams, more players, more of the superstar players in the NBA are incentivized to do it at a 100% effort level. I think that's the big issue we're already seeing the NBA already this week, John, over the last week of basketball is these star players sitting out due to rest already. And that's yeah. kind of, I think we're seeing the NBA, these teams and these players kind of going right up against that 65-game threshold that the NBA is holding out for for awards and everything like that, I think we'll see every couple of weeks these star players rest one or two games 
and they'll just stay right at that 65 game mark to stay eligible for those awards. So I think it's kind of a, a little dosey do that the players are kind of trying to do against that rule. It's uh, Evan Sidery joins us talking to the NBA and more with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So let's go back to this matchup tonight and maybe to set the stage for the Pacers in Boston this evening, go back to Monday and that disappointing loss to the Bulls. I, I want you to bring this up because I did a little bit yesterday. Does it seem to you that other teams, and we really saw this, I felt, on Monday, teams are really hard targeting here we have seen. We saw some last year, too, when he was still healthy. Hard targeting Tyrese Halliburton to play defense on that defensive end. I thought we saw that in the second half a great deal on Monday. Would you agree? Certainly so, yeah. And I think that's going to be something that Rick Carlisle and the coaching staff is going to have to continue to tweak around is what best lineup around Tyrese Halliburton. Can you quote-unquote hide him a little bit on defense, put him in the corner, on a, really a non-threat offensively? I think that's why you need to see more of players like Jairus Walker eventually for his defensive purposes. You can have Jairus Walker, Aaron Neesmith, Bruce Brown, and Miles Turner all out there together. That's a legitimate four-man group you feel very confident about in hiding Tyrese Albert, for example. So I think they're just going to see more tweaks into the rotation and into the lineups to try to find those sort of lineups that make the most sense to hide Tyrese on the defensive end. But I think it's just going to be something that the Pacers are going to have to deal with because we know Tyrese Halberg throughout his career, he's a subpar defender – uh, at least on ball, he's a, he's good at steals, he's good at deflections, but he certainly can be targeted on the offensive end, especially in pick-and-roll situations. So I think it's more just about finding the right balance from the Pacers and trying to find him uh, a role as far as staying out of the way on defense. He is held in such a high, high regard league-wide, and certainly here. Uh, is there a level of concern that the Pacers may feel the need to have to hide him defensively? Um, I, I wouldn't go there just yet. I think it's more just trying to – if we're at the same point in, let's say, mid-December or around the new year, and it's a, still a topic where Tyrese Halliburton getting picked on relentlessly by opposing teams late in game, they have no answers for it. I think then you should really start worrying, and maybe that the Pacers could go address that at the trade deadline, for example, to get some more help defensively, even though they've already put in a lot of investment. When Bruce Brown, he's had a good start so far. Jairus Walker, as I mentioned there, who eventually will get to the rotation. So I think it's more of just – this is really a trial period for the Pacers too, John, and implementing these new pieces, trying to find what works out best. And I think Tyrese Halliburton, we already know how good of an offensive player he is and why he's already a consensus, in my opinion, top 20, top 25 player. If he improves and just becomes at least average on defense, I think he's a top 15 player. How far do you think he has to go to improve on being average defensively? Um, I think it's more just about on-ball defense. I think it's really just about staying disciplined in that area. I think off-ball he can maybe lose track a little bit as far as going around screens kind of taking his eyes off the ball. He can ball watch a little bit, trying to ball hawk that ball for some steals. So I, I think it's more about discipline. Tyrese Halliburton and more so just about staying in his role defensively and just trying his best to avoid the situations where he gets switched onto these wings and he has really no chance defensively. And that's going to be something to watch out for. I think he's has, I would say, a pretty sizable jump to go, at least to be average defensively. But if he does eventually get to that point, he's going to be a true superstar in this league. Yeah, I don't know what they do to him more. If they just kind of, you know, set him up and, and beat him off the dribble on the perimeter or I tell you, the paces the other night, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong if you saw something different, but so easily switching everything 
for this team right now is just such a recipe for defensive disaster. Am I wrong? Yeah, it's a it's really hit and miss right now. I think the two biggest culprits in that, one who we just mentioned in Tyrese Halliburton, I think the other one too is Bennett and Mathurin, who I've seen some blowback from fans about his inconsistent minutes so far and why he's been kind of uh, not getting 30-plus minutes per game, even though they are prioritizing his development. I think a lot of that is due to his defense and his lack of defensive development so far. He's been another player, too, that team's been going out pretty consistently defensively. He's dying often on screens and situations like that and allowing easy buckets. And that's why you're seeing more minutes for Buddy Heald, more minutes even more for Bruce Brown. He's already carrying a pretty big workload defensively for this team. So I think Mathurin's a pretty big culprit there, as is Tyrese Halliburton. But that's kind of what you build here is to hopefully have a Bruce Bruce Brown and a Jairus Walker. Maybe Ben Shepard Shepard develops into a solid defender down the road. Aaron Neesmith, too. Miles Turner, obviously, as your rim protector. Those guys can help insulate and make it easier for those more, way more offensive heavy guys in Tyrese and Matherin to really kind of hide themselves defensively. And that's going to be the, really the big balancing act long term, John. If you're building this team around Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin, two subpar defenders, but really good offensive players, you're going to have an elite offense. You just got to put the right pieces around them and have an average defense. It's, uh, Evan Sidery talks NBA with us right now on the Andy Moore Automotive Crew Potline. What's been your impression on the, the minutes Obi Toppins received in the first three games? Yeah, it's been interesting to say the least. I think it's really Obi Toppin has been kind of, I think the coaching staff still experimenting with really what they have with Obi Toppin. And Rick Car- Carlisle admitted that at media day this year, that they still need to find out what they have in Obi Toppin. And he's been playing under 20 minutes per game and two of these three games, he just went over the 20 minute mark in this past game, 24 points or 24 minutes, excuse me. But he hasn't really done much in his minutes, especially offensively, which is what he's brought on board for. I think it's just an adjustment period for Obi Toppin. He's averaging seven points per game in 20 minutes so far. He needs to hit his jumper consistently. But I think with Obi Toppin, I'm not really worried about him long-term. I think he's more so of a rotation kind of piece. A player who can give you 10 to 12 points per game if necessary. I think it's going to be kind of finding the best lineups for him defensively because he's another player that is subpar on that end. And I think it's going to be kind of figuring out when do you pull the trigger on putting Jairus Walker into that lineup, into the rotation. And when that happens eventually, John, that's going to cut into Obi Toppin's minutes even more. So I think it's going to be kind of a balancing act here for the coaching staff to kind of figure out what this power forward position is between Obi Toppin and Jairus Walker down the road. My interpretation on Obi Toppin and his clock so far has been, all right, if he's not going offensively, he's not good enough to stay out here in in more minutes because he is so bad defensively. Is that fair? No, that's that's fair, and that was the rep he's had throughout his entire NBA career, to be honest. In New York, he wasn't getting playing time because Tom Thibodeau, as we all know, one of the more aggressive coaches, one of the more high, high-strung coaches as far as if you're not doing your job, you're going to pull out of that game immediately. If you don't play defense on a Tom Thibodeau team, you see it in Chicago and Minnesota, now in New York these last couple of years, you're not going to get rotation minutes for his teams. And Obi Toppin barely cracked 15 minutes per game over these last three years because he's not good at all defensively. And I know Indiana, you can really hide that a little bit because they're such a good team offensively. But if you want to have a good defensive team around Tyrese Halliburton, Obi Toppin might be more of a role player that gets 20 to 25 minutes per game, if that when you need to have guys like Jairus Walker and stuff out there who maybe fit better around Tyrese Halliburton defensively. And that's been the big priority all offseason long, John, was, as you know, they preach defensive improvement. What, how can guys get better defensively? And Obi Toppin, he's not been a good defender 
throughout his career. He hasn't been good so far in these couple games. And he's going to be a guy the next couple months to really figure out what they have in him. So I think it's a big couple months upcoming here for Obi Toppin, honestly. Evan Sidery talks NBA with us. You mentioned Jess Walker a couple of different times. So do you think there's going to be some kind of signature moment where he is just going to be introduced as a rotational player for this Pacers team? Or is it going to be uh, a longer period of time than what we may think? It certainly feels like it's going to be a longer period of time, even though I might not necessarily agree with that because we saw last year uh, Rick Carlisle will be patient with his rookies. We saw Benedict Mathering get around 25 minutes per game throughout the first three, four months of the season. Then then the last 10 to 12 games, he gets the minutes restriction taken off of them. Jairus Walker's not even in the rotation yet. So that's the big difference here with Mathering and Jairus Walker is that Mathering, you were at least getting a lot of minutes, a lot of production. Jairus Walker, he's barely cracking the rotation. I think he's played only about 15 minutes so far this season. And that's the big thing to me with Juris Walker. We knew coming out of Houston, great defender. I think overall the best defender in this past year's draft class outside of Victor Wembanyama as far as immediate impact and long-term impact on that end. But offensively, you kind of knew he was going to be a one-box one kind of player who doesn't really give you much versatility in the offensive end. And you kind of have to fit him in where you can. And the jumper hasn't developed so far. It's going to take time with Jairus Walker. Obviously, he's only 19, 20 years old. So I think it's going to be a longer-term development curve for Jairus Walker. I think maybe more so around the New Year time, maybe in mid-December at the defensive issues for guys like Obi Top continue, for example. Maybe then you see Jairus Walker crack the rotation and kind of see what they have with him. I was very outspoken last week at uh, at some point early we were going to find a huge role where Rick Carlisle needed to go to TJ McConnell and it was going to be sooner rather than later and it was Saturday night he went to him and things worked out I thought Rick made a tremendous mistake in not doing the same thing on Monday night especially with the way Nimhard was playing with the six turnovers you agree yeah I think if they want to give these young guys the run which I know it might sound weird to say that they're still prioritizing development over wins right now, but I think they really want to see Andrew Nembhard take full control of that back backup point guard position. Let him take his lumps, play a lot of heavy minutes there, because they view him as a long-term building block. They'd obviously, Aaron Neesmith, guys extension as well, Nembhard, Neesmith, all those guys, they all fit into the long-term equation for this Pacers team. And we saw it already. Rick Carlo got emotional after the season opener press conference saying that he had a tough conversation with McCollum and not finding consistent minutes for him. I think it's kind of going to be the thing for TJ all season long, as long as he's on the team, John, is he'll play maybe 10, 10 minutes spurts here and there. But unless Nemhart's hurt, unless Tyrese Halliburton's hurt, he might not get a lot of consistent minutes here. And why I eventually think down the road around February – I have a hard time seeing T.J. McConnell be on this team because I think he deserves to get consistent minutes. And it really is a kudos to this Pacers team. Honestly, John, there are 9, 10, 11 guys deep, and a guy T.J. McConnell is barely getting run. Mm, I, 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 <laughs> I, I just think that he is so – he brings a necessary element. He would for any team. But I think this team – young and growing certainly needs it i i'm really i'd be really skeptical if they pulled the trigger on that at any point honestly i i just think i think this team at times needs the juice and i think you can see it we have seen it in the past he provides something off the bench that absolutely nobody else can and i i'm i'd have a problem with that at least sitting here right now if something changes maybe i wouldn't have so much of a problem come february right now i would so what happens rotationally tonight if there is no halliburton there is there's is no matherin in this game in boston 
I think two guys to watch out for, one we just talked about, this could really be a showcase kind of game for T.J. McConnell and why the Pacers might be able to cover the 11.5 point spread. Why they, why they might keep this close, even without Tyrese Halliburton, if he doesn't go, is like you mentioned, T.J. McConnell being that energy, Lance Stevenson kind of spark for this team, where we saw throughout his career in Indiana here. He can just bring that energy off the bench and really swing things. I would not be surprised if we see T.J. McConnell play 25-plus minutes per game tonight if Tyrese can't go. And then also... Ben Shepard, I would not be surprised we see Ben Shepard maybe get his season debut of more consistent minutes tonight if we don't see Ben Mathering go. Because he, assuming, would slide into like a 10, 15-minute-per-game role and letting Bruce Brown, letting Buddy Heald soak up more minutes and letting that reserve role go to Ben Shepard. So I'm intrigued to see that if Mathering can't go, if Ben Shepard gets more of a consistent run tonight. Yeah, Warren, going to see any time tonight, you think? Maybe, maybe a little bit. Maybe a spurt here and there. But I – it's really, uh, again, like Jordan Wara, he, he's another guy to me, like a very good scorer. We saw it last year in, in moments, but his lack of defense, I think it's kind of hard to find a consistent role for him here. Maybe he gets 10 to 15 minutes tonight to give an offensive spurt without Matherin out there. Maybe that can make some sense there. But Wara is a guy to me, it's going to be hard to see consistent minutes for him at all on this team. Um, yeah, Boston has been very good, 3-0 and so far. However, if there is a spot, you might be able to get them. And I don't know if we're going to be able to see it uh what we normally would expect from this Pacer team, given the injuries um, that we may see tonight, is the depth. It seems like Boston certainly is is legit from top to bottom if you're talking about that, that starting lineup. But once you start really digging into this team deeper down that bench, uh, there are some spots you can get after there. Yeah, really, this Boston Celtics team, like you mentioned, super top-heavy. I think e- probably easily the best starting lineup in the NBA, at least on paper, that we've seen so far this season. Derek White, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Drew Holiday, and then you throw Christos Porzingis. That's an incredible starting five there. But outside of that, the bench unit is shaky at best for Boston. And like you mentioned, I think this Pacers team is 10, 11 guys deep compared to Boston, seven or eight at best. So I think if you get Christos Porzingis in foul trouble, I think Miles Turner is actually going to play a pretty big role tonight if the Pacers can keep this close enough, John, because if Miles Turner can get Christos Porzingis in foul trouble or, or win that matchup, I think the Pacers could really have a frisky shot of winning this game, which would be a really fun surprise, especially if they have no Halliburton or no Matherin. But I just have this weird feeling that if Miles Turner has a big game here, that they'll keep this one close. So Evan Sider here with us. Before I let you go, and again, a real small thumbnail sketch here of three games. Um, and I, I shouldn't be one that consistently brings up defensive prowess, certainly as much as I have in this conversation so far. But is, has Bruce Brown been that type of guy that you've expected to this point? I know it's all still developmental. I do get that. But has he been what you thought he was going to be defensively on that end of the floor so far? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I would say Bruce Brown's been kind of what I've expected so far. He's not, I would say, quote-unquote, an elite defender, but he's certainly an above-average one. And we've seen moments where he's had, had good spurts on possessions, but obviously you're seeing more of an offensive emphasis for Bruce Brown so far in Indy. He's a career-high 15 points per game three games so far we saw that great opener that he had too with those six three-pointers and 24 points so I think Bruce Brown's focusing more offensively right now but once we see Brown lock in more defensively it'll just take time with him as far as getting the best assignment and kind of fitting into the system here so I think Bruce Brown's really been what I've expected and a lot better offensively too to be honest and Bruce Brown if he's a 15 plus point per game scorer and your best wing defender that's that's a great contract. I think he's still signed for this Pacers team. All right, uh, Evan. What do you? Oh, before I hit that, let me ask you this: Has there ever been a, an NBA player that just gets whatever he wants? I mean, really goes into a corner, stomps his feet, throws a fit, 
and gets what he wants as much as we have seen over the uh, past three or so years James Harden has? I think they should write a book about it, John, to be honest, because if you want to leave your job and do so in a unceremonious way. James Harden certainly has written a book about it over the last three years. And just over a thousand days, John, he's forced three different teams to trade him. It's incredible. It really is. I mean, every less than a year. So maybe he runs his course in LA. He's on an expiring contract and he says, screw it. I'm, I'm done after this. It just seems like James Harden's kind of going down that volatile path and he's been on already, but it's getting worse and worse where I wouldn't be shocked at all. I wouldn't see a career path for James Harden after next season. This is his last NBA season because he's so unpredictable. Uh, it just seems like to me, him and Kyrie Irving are kind of in that same category to me now where you have no clue what's going to happen next with those two guys. And James Harden forcing his way out of Houston, forcing his way out of Brooklyn, forcing his way out of Philadelphia, all within three years. I mean, it really does say a lot about James Harden. And I think him leaving a situation with the MVP last year in Joel Embiid, I think kind of says a lot about what he's valuing right now in his career. I um, I don't get it. By now you would know that maybe you come out early on with positive results, but ultimately uh, it's going to end toxic and it's going to to be bad for your franchise. The Clippers seem like to me the only team left that would even have any interest and I sit here wondering why I think to me honestly the Clippers are a team to me where you've seen how inconsistent and how unlucky they've been over the last four years with this Paul George Kawhi Leonard experiment gave away their really their entire future draft picks and Shea Gillis Alexander on top of that who developed into a superstar for the Thunder how how injured those two have been Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and now those two entering into potentially the last year of their contracts next season I think this is kind of an all-in move for the Clippers to say, if this doesn't work with James Harden, we're just going to blow this whole thing up after this season. If, if one of these guys gets hurt again, if this doesn't work out, I think I would not be shocked at all to see the Clippers kind of say, screw it, we've tried it for five years in a row now. Nothing's clicked. We tried with putting James Harden there and Russell Westbrook. Nothing happened. One of those two guys always got hurt in the end. I think they're a team to me where I could really see next summer being a, a potential blow-up team where we see them trade one of Paul George or Kawhi Leonard and kind of just reset things there because they've gone all chips in now on this team with James Harden, Russell Westbrook. They have a lot of depth on that team too, even after the trade they just made. So I think it's just an all-in bet on this season. They have to win a championship. And if they don't, I think we're going to see pretty significant changes there. It's uh, absolutely incredible. A, a book. I wouldn't read the book, but I would maybe watch some sort of – there has to be some kind of HBO documentary or some 30 to 30 on that at some point. I would watch that. Oh, yeah. You have to imagine we'll see something, especially on that Nets team that had Kevin Durant, uh, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden all in the same locker room for that uh, one-year period. That That's going to be a, a really interesting documentary if they got around to that. So, Substack and Forbes Sports, we can find your work. Where else? That, that, that's all for right now. I'm on Forbes Sports. You can follow my work over there. You can follow my Substack, sourcesaid.substack.com. I'll be writing over there, too, as well. But covering the NBA as a whole, covering the Pacers, too. So it's been fun so far. I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate the invite, as always, John. You got it, Evan. Thank you. Yeah, no problem at all. Appreciate it. Evan Sidery. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. 
All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon, the morning show is called The Morning Wake-Up Call with KB and Andy. And uh, soon to be getting his real growing hair back, courtesy of WeGrowHairIndy.com, is our Wednesday guest, KB, Kevin Bowen, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Are you excited? Because I have said this, you are going to look like, when this is all over, a very young, a youthful Mr. Cotter from Welcome Back Cotter, Gabe Kaplan. That's going to be you, Gabe Kaplan. I was wondering why there were some people tweeting me pictures of that. That's, that's um, going to be you right there, because that's up. that's what your hair is going to do when it just goes out of control like mine has right there. You're going to look like Gabe I Kaplan. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm going to do with all this hair. Yeah, week from Friday, John. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I know you know Darren Andrews very well, and uh, a little hesitant initially, but he's been tremendous throughout the process and reassuring me and very detailed and everything. So, yeah, Andy Sweeney's not going to know what, what – what hit him when he sees my uh, my my hair flowing here starting in a couple of weeks? Does Sweebo have his? I never could tell. I've never seen Sweebo without a hat. So is that covering up the fact he doesn't have any hair? Um, I I well, you hate to speak for him. I I, I would say he would. He probably falls in a similar boat as myself. Yeah. Because uh, I've never seen I've never seen it. He's got red hair too, right? Does he? Red, red hair. Uh-huh. I said yeah, I wouldn't yeah, know because yeah. I've never seen the dude without a hat. Has he ever washed did, has he washed uh, his hair up here before? <laughs> <laughs> we did uh we did pictures, uh what do they call those? I'm trying to think like what they uh production shots, whatever yes. you call them. I, I feel like for our Twitter page. Is that not our I, I don't know, now I'm like trying to think yeah, what is he hatless in that? Is. Yeah, we we both are hatless in that and I feel like both of us are probably pretty uh pretty similar when it comes to the uh hair action but so, yeah, yeah i guess both of us yeah both of us rock hair or rock hats uh <laughs> primarily every uh every morning you guys you guys aren't bathed when you come in <laughs> that's funny but no artist robotic fue now do they put you out for that i think it's just like a little sedation i don't think it's anything yeah. like too crazy uh but like maddie's got to pick me up afterwards yeah they couldn't wake me um, up i just i went out and they didn't I, they didn't need to give me anything i just passed out watching andy griffith in their chair and then they were going hey hey say, man yeah. we're gonna close here can you get your ass up out of here come on i go hey i'm asleep so did you watch did you like watch a i don't know a tv an ipad did you uh, um, no, they uh, they said, what do you want to watch? And I said, you got any Andy Griffith? And they did, and they turned it on. And I think I lasted about, um, I don't know, two and a half minutes of the uh, episode. I think it was The Cow Thief. And I lasted about two and a half minutes of The Cow Thief episode. And then I passed out and woke back up when they were trying to wake me up so they, they could close. <laughs> How long were you out? I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. So, yeah. Yeah, that'll be me next Friday. Honestly, it works out decently because, um, yeah, the Colts fly to Germany next Thursday, so it's not like they would have had any media availability here anyway. So, yep. yeah, I'm looking at this uh, shampoo right now. Now that you say that, that I'm supposed to use on Thursday night. Right. Do that a couple times, and Darren just sent me the uh, the email of, you know, kind of the, the do's and don'ts next week. They said I can't drink for a week out. Is that is that real? 
I well, I would. I, I didn't follow the rules first, and um, yeah, I, like they said, because I laughed. They said, you know, you can't play basketball for two weeks. And I go, <laughs> okay. So I did, and I did, and I shouldn't have. So um, yeah, go by the follow the rules because I didn't initially. So, so post op, you were you were not supposed to play basketball for for two weeks. No, um, <laughs> yeah, two weeks. Uh, I played the day after, so yeah, that wasn't good. <laughs> that wasn't Didn't cool. You tell them that all you do is run three point line to three point line. I did, line. but like then, but then I you're banging around in the post. Well, I played with a couple of jackasses that can't pass, and somebody threw one when I wasn't looking. So <laughs> <laughs> his name is John Darmelio, the worst passer in the history of pickup basketball. <laughs> and he's out there listening right now. I mean, seriously, behind the back. I mean, if there's a mascot like Nuke Lelouch to be hit standing on the sideline, he's going to hit it with a pass. So He's like a globetrotter out there on the floor. Problematic right there. But no, seriously, when you get done with this and your hair is fully back and you know, you're like old school Kevin Bowen again, you grow a mustache so you can look exactly like oh, Dave Kaplan. My dad had a great mustache back in the day. I, yeah. I was always so so jealous of it. So, in all seriousness, I am. Thr- I, I Darren has been outstanding. Yes. Um, all throughout the process, he's a great, great human. The whole staff up there. So, um, but yeah, I definitely had some initial hesitancy, but looking forward to it. Nah, man, good, good for you. I'm telling you what. Um, follow my path because I'm going to have all new parts by the time I'm sixty. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you have always told me that. Yeah, knees right. Yes. Um, oh where, yes. Where else are you going? I, I don't know if I want to ask you where. Oh, else and, uh, if, if, hey, if you can go there, I'm going to go. I mean, all new, all new parts, everything. If they can do it, I'm going to do it. So, hips, knees, what you know, whatever else. All your bases there with that. Hey, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not married to any of my parts at this point. We've been together too long. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm starting to get to the age where those that have enjoyed those, you know, I I don't know if I'm married to them too much longer if you you catch my drift. Frankly, there are a couple of parts that I'm sick and tired of seeing and I need to change. So I'm just going, hey, I'm really tired of seeing you. You know, the relationship is just kind of, you know, not going where it once was. So I think we need uh, a bit of a separation and a change. So that's what I'm thinking about. Well, yeah, my hand is sadly raised. And I feel like uh, some others might agree with that. Um, We talked about this a year ago, and it ended up being uh, Taylor Heineke that came in here and kicked the crap out of the Colts at the end of the game and beat them. Uh, We thought maybe at some point it was going to be uh, Carson Wentz, and we thought maybe that would have been one of the worst moments in the history of moments here with this Colts organization going back to 1984. Um, Where would it rank? And I know it's going to be away. It's in Charlotte coming up on Sunday, but where – would it rank if the second win on this schedule for Carolina this year came at the hands of the Colts? Yeah, it would be up there. Yeah, I, I know Frank isn't going to like outwardly, I don't expect like a Nick Sirianni type reaction after the game from him, but he is extremely, I think, motivated by this one, very understandably slow. So, I mean, he gets replaced. He gets replaced by a dude off of TV. I mean, all of that. I mean, if you look at Frank's just pure win-loss record, I mean, there are coaches that certainly keep their jobs without, uh, you know, even having the amount of wins that he did throughout his tenure. I think probably at times he 
would point to, again, he's not going to say this publicly, but, you know, more of the personnel issues that haven't been as acknowledged throughout the last, you know, half dozen years uh, and so much of it on, on his coaching with that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it'd be up there. Um, you know, obviously, if you, look, if you look at the line, clearly Vegas thinks the Colts are a favorite. I know that there's an element of me. I'm still like, you know, this is a backup quarterback going on the road, et cetera, et cetera. I still think Colts should win the game. Um, you know, Vikings embarrassment to close out that game. You know, obviously just the whole run to end last season. Um, those would, I still think, rank higher up there. But if you ask Jim Mersey, uh, given what he did last year to Frank, given who he hired to Jeff Saturday, uh, and all of that, yeah, this is probably one of the ones that ranks you know near the top of the list, if not at the top of the list, in terms of wins he wants for this season. So do they have any open auditions today at this walkthrough at the cornerback position? <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Fair question. Uh, no outside the building move, right? No. Corner, I believe yesterday, or, or even you know, not even like a free agent or a practice squad move. So any changes would be internal. Uh, we don't get to watch the walkthrough, um, so we we did not go out there. But um, I think that is what again it, it adds to kind of the puzzling nature of what they did last week. Uh, Tony Brown is not even really a nickel, or excuse me, not really even an outside corner. He's more of a nickel or a, or a slot guy. Uh, and he's not the youth movement, which, you know, again, Chris Bauer, you know, I, I thought was pretty candid in talking about, yeah, we are going to go youth at corner. Well, when you went veteran, like if you are going to go veteran, to me it's like, all right, you might yeah. as well have somebody that is at least played out there or is more of a corner. At this point, you know, Tony Brown has kind of fallen into special teamer first uh, before you even think about corner. That's why he made this football team over a guy like Darius Rush. Uh, you know, to me, Darius Rush, that would have been the perfect baptism by fire for him on Sunday. And, you know, okay, let him grow and let him learn and you know, all of those things And you're, when you're exposing a rookie, especially at that position, uh, to all of it. So uh, whether it's moving Kenny Moore outside whether it's moving tony brown inside and kenny out there moving julian blackman you know down to nickel getting it cross on the field they've got a guy in darren hall on their practice squad who started nine games for the falcons last year i mean that is at least recent playing time that again tony brown doesn't have uh something um and, and obviously there was a ton of debate last week you know okay you know, daryl baker jr did he get a poor whistle late you know, putting that debate to the side, the Colts clearly thought Daryl Baker was out of position or, you know, whatever, wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't doing his job. Everyone want to label it. And so he loses his job again with, you know, obviously not getting a chance to be the guy against the Saints. I would say the only silver lining has nothing to do with cornerback options that I just named. It has to do with the Carolina Panthers wideout core is Adam Thielen and a bunch of dudes. So in, in no way do I think they have the depth that New Orleans uh, had at, at that wideout group. Just when we think we've got something, though, it always goes haywire. That's this. That's been the mo of this Colts organization now for such a long time. It's almost tough to remember the times when it wasn't that way. And I also was thinking about this in in terms of you bringing up Chris Ballard, you know, youth movement and. And Shane Steichen talking about going with the hot hand. Is, is there ever any point where anybody from this organization doesn't get burnt by previous words and phrases? Seriously. Because you look at Shane Steichen, the hot hand clearly was Jonathan Taylor, and you clearly went away from that. 
So, you know, there's words that's going to burn you. And then the whole Ballard say he's been burned by so many words in the past, I can't even count. Is there ever a point? I know it's hard because you're always being asked to answer questions and all this, and you don't want to. But it just seems like it has been the most consistent thing about this organization over the years is being burnt by words you had previously uttered. Yeah, I mean, there's an element of like, uh, it's a big part of my job. So I, I appreciate the words. I, I wish, obviously, Shane would be a little bit more candid with them. Uh, hey, you just screwed up. So. You, you screwed up because you were trying to outthink the room, right? Right. And, That's and what be, happened. You know, a little bit more of an, you know, to me, I, and I guess we haven't really gotten there with Shane just yet. You know, he, you know, he, he said, uh, you know, I could have sprinkled in a run here or there, but I don't think he has that big of a, you know, I look back on it and I have a lot of regret over not using Taylor. Um, and there are plenty of times, John, where, you know, whether it's Chuck Pagano, whether it's Frank Reich, whether, you know, even, I don't know, Jeff, <laughs> I'm trying to think of Shane, I, I don't know, where you get, like, removed from a game. It's, it's a day or two removed from a game. You look into it more. You talk to people. You go back and you watch it. And you think, okay, I understand what they were thinking there. I understand some of the rationale. It didn't work out, but I have a, a bit of a grasp on on what they were trying to to do. The Taylor side of it, to me, I, I'm it's even more mystifying to me. Uh, the more I do look into it, the more I you know hear the hot hand. Sunday was the second best first quarter of Jonathan Taylor's career. I would think that would qualify as he is hot. He is. The hot hand. He is, you know, boy, we need to make sure we continue to feed him. This might sound stupid, but New Orleans entered Sunday, and they had a ton of dudes puking and, and, and sick and IV galore. I mean, they had like five guys on their practice squad out due to – or on their injury report out due to illness throughout the week. Michael Thomas said he had nine IVs on Saturday and Sunday combined. So, in my opinion, I'm thinking, boy, that could be an avenue where they're on the road, they had a flight, now, if you body blow them in the first quarter, what's that going to look like in the second, the third, the fourth? Um, so even when you add up all of it, again, it just does not make sense, especially when, um, you know, and this is different from the Michael Pittman comments after the Browns game. Let's say that Michael Pittman, you know, it wasn't the raw emotion of another loss. It was he was really mad about that. You could counter to Michael Pittman and be like, hey, man, they scored 38 points. They put up 450 yards. Like there are reasons why maybe you didn't get peppered with as many targets as you would like to. Whereas this Sunday with Taylor, Shane Sutton can't sit there and say, "Hey, we were scoring, you know, on a routine basis," or you know, the passing game was doing this. The second half, you scored seven points, uh, and Taylor had one carry and and one catch in that entire half of football. So, you know, even if you wanted to point to other things that were working, those weren't there at all. So. Uh, yeah, to me, it had kind of a valedictorian feel to it of I'm going to prove that I'm, you know, the smartest guy and we're going to achieve this great balance. And but no, backup quarterback, 41 pass attempts. You're only down two scores on one of those possessions. Uh, none of it, none, none of it makes sense, which I was surprising. I, I, or I, I was surprised that I thought I'd get to Monday or Tuesday or even today, Wednesday. And it, I would like it would lessen a little bit of the feelings I had kind of walking out of Lucas Oil Sunday. But looking into it more. Uh, I'm even more dumbfounded than I was on Sunday. Yeah, it's it's funny. I was hoping for Jonathan Taylor after the game to re-rack the words of Michael Pittman Jr. the week prior and say, <laughs> I guess I'm not a part of the second half game plan, but clearly he has exhausted his level of pissiness to this point, right? <laughs> yeah, he got all that out of the way Yeah, with his words and his actions in June and July and, and August. And 
even if you go back and watch how Taylor ran it in the first quarter, I mean, he was running over people. He was. The Saints defender. He was. I mean, he was making great cuts. It was. It's not like he had this, whatever, 465 wide hole, and he ripped off a 70-yarder, and then he had a bunch of one-yard carries around that, and you get to the end of the first quarter, and, you know, whatever, he's got seven carries for 80 yards, but I don't know, maybe it's a little skewed. Yeah, he had the 40-yarder. That was a hell of an effort by him on the 40-yarder. But he also had, you know, a run of 14 and a run of 11. And, you know, even like the four and the six-yard runs, I thought were both pretty pretty nice runs from him. Um, and he's always been a guy that if you look at his big plays, a lot of them occur in the second half, a la Zach Moss in the third quarter when he ripped off that, that 40-yarder as well. So, uh, boy, when you look at Carolina and how poor they've been running it and how much you hammered Michael Pittman uh, early on Sunday with targets, I would assume Jonathan Taylor will be a big focal point early in the game. On yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, no doubt about that. We'll see. Uh, it it <laughs> it always goes so, goes I haywire. Maybe I hope that he's a big part more than I I, I think yeah. he will be a big part. Uh, Kevin Bowen, the morning show is the morning wake up call with KB and Andy, seven until ten a.m. weekday mornings here on the fan. Kev's with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I, Listen, I had said this. There's a promo that runs, and I'm complaining about you know understanding when there's going to be a time early in the season to utilize T.J. McConnell, and it came pretty quickly. It came in game number two in Cleveland on Saturday evening. I thought that there was another time on Monday. Now, I'm getting some pushback from people inside the Windshuler Spreadable Cheeses Lounge that suggests that you can't sub out Andrew Nemhart, even though he had six turnovers for T.J. McConnell because you give up too much in defense. And then I think everybody forgets that defensively um, on the perimeter, they can't guard you. I mean, really, none of them can guard you. That didn't really matter. I just thought that, thought that that was a moment for McConnell on Monday night once again. A, do you agree with that? And then B, are we seeing a little bit of pushback as far as the minutes are concerned? And we'll start, I guess, with McConnell off the bench and, and not wanting to sub him in. And then as well, the minutes we see from Obi Toppin to this point. Yeah, I didn't think the McConnell lack of usage jumped out at me as much as it did like Saturday. Like Saturday, it, it, it screamed that with what Cleveland you know did to you um, at the start. I, I'd have to go back on Monday. I felt like most of the Nemhard issues were more kind of second half, even fourth quarter related. And by that point, you know, I, I don't think you would have turned to him. And also it was, okay, you know, how are you guarding DeRozan and Levine here down the stretch? Ideally, you're not putting Halliburton on them. So if McConnell's out there, who are you going to who, who who, who put Halliburton on? Can he not guard anybody out there? Well, I, I'm trying to think who they had in in the fourth. Was it was, I don't know, was it Kobe White or Caruso? I don't know, one of the two. Uh, yeah, Caruso was out there. Yeah, Caruso was out there. I think you're trying to hide him there. And again, obviously, Charlotte was. Or, well, um, but Chicago was switching or trying to get Halliburton to switch on to DeRozan or Levine. The the, the Pacers, and I mentioned this yesterday too, they, they switch so easily. And that's something I've noticed too. And I, I'm not trying to, to recommend the old school of, well, you just got to get over that screen like we were all told. But, man, they switch and they get themselves in bad situations because they are bad defensively, but bad situations more times than not because they so easily switch. That's weird to me. Yeah, and I feel like this year it's more the the phrase they use is guard your yard. I feel like this year they aren't trying to switch as much as last year. Yeah, I thought it was noticeable in that game Monday. 
like last year, I felt like they just they were in scramble hell by the end of the shot clock. Yeah, they guys were just running around, their heads cut off, you know, trying to find somebody. Um, so I guess going back to Monday again, I didn't. It wasn't as much as it was on Saturday, but you know, certainly tonight. I mean, you would think McConnell's going to play a big role if Tyrese Halliburton is indeed out. You know, we'll, I guess that final injury report would probably be coming here pretty soon. And, and honestly, in years past, I feel like Carlisle has oftentimes just bumped you know, TJ into the starting lineup and, and kept that second unit a little bit more stable. You know, would you have Nemhard at the second unit? Or, I don't know, do you feel like Nemhard at the starters? Because, again, he could be an option to guard through Holiday, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I mean, the list is kind of endless. So, you know, Monday, obviously, Nemhard was not good. I mean, it, it's pretty rare for Rick to kind of bail on him uh, in the fourth quarter like he did. I, I, I get why he did. He wasn't playing well. Um and to me, you know, in some way, shape, or form, and obviously McConnell helps, I think, in the pace area. You didn't get the game at your pace at all, and you missed a ton of open shots, um, and you couldn't defend without fouling. And, and you know, probably TJ, you know, mostly out of those three, could help with the pace and, and try to get you some of the easy buckets uh, that you couldn't have. So um, I, I certainly think there will be a good amount of nights like the Cleveland one on Saturday where you do turn to him uh, at – at different points. And in general, I'm just curious how he juggles the rotation all year long because uh, I think it's going to be a huge – it's a great problem to have, but I think it's going to be something that doesn't have a lot of easy, obvious answers uh, night in and night out. I know it's way early, but my, my early, early observation is – that uh, that Rick may end up Obi to Obi Toppin giving him the uh, Thibodeau treatment at some point here early. If he if he can't he score Neesmith. consistently and then can't guard anybody, start Neesmith for him. I, I wonder. I mean, do you, have you not wondered yeah. this as well? I mean, you see, yeah, you I know, mean, the the minutes haven't been at times that critical, and you, it just makes me wonder. And I, I guess that kind of falls on me because that's how he was treated in New York, especially what we witnessed him coming off the bench once Tom Thibodeau got there. But it just kind of makes me wonder where his starters minutes may or may not go. But again, it's early. Yeah, and I'm curious for that starting unit, how that's going to look like. It, it, it's an interesting group, and I know you and I have had this conversation, like taking Buddy out of the starting lineup and you instantly lose very important spacing. Um, you know, Matherin, Bruce Brown, and Toppin are not like – scouting report shooters where I think the other team's going to be like, we can't leave this guy. So like all three of them are kind of, and even miles, I mean, all, all four of them, they can certainly hit threes, but I, I don't, I mean, they don't have, you know, and to be fair, not a lot of people have buddy's reputation, but uh, those guys are a little bit of streaky shooters. Um, maybe it's unfair to label all four of them as that, but I think generally they would fall into that sort of category. And I don't feel like the starters this year, have gotten into a great flow at all, any of the three games to where it's just Halliburton out and running and quarterback and all and directing traffic. And I guess, honestly, Chicago might have been their best performance uh, if you just boil down to that first unit uh, and what they look like for, you know, whatever right. the first six to eight minutes well, of the game. So and they have, they have turned it the over a lot. They have turned it over a lot. I, I can't remember how much they did that early in the in the Cleveland game. But, I mean, hell, they couldn't stop turning it over in their first game here against the Wizards, and it seemed like that they were doing some of that. They turned it over 17 times in all on Monday night, so I think that's been an issue too. Yeah, because you have that top in the open floor. I mean, like that's where, you know, he. yes, I mean, certainly there's going to be half-court possessions where he's going to have to function, but 
uh, you know, that is where he is at his, his best. And, uh, again, tonight, if it's no Jalen Smith, I mean, does Jarris Walker squeeze into any minutes? You know, is that something that you'd like to see early in the season and try and see if there's any sort of role for him as you get deeper into the year where maybe the rotation just naturally shortens a little bit? Um, so yeah, I, I do think there are a lot of, you know, those types of questions for them. But mainly the starting group, I, I, I don't think has played. Uh, very well at all, really, uh, to to start the season. Which you know, obviously, you can look at that from a you know optimistic point of view and saying they will. Um, but certainly, teams are trying to you know, keep Halliburton out of transition and ultimately take the ball out of his hands, and then on the defensive end, uh, make him guard. I mean, for those that watched, you know, any of the FIBA, I mean, that's certainly what some of those international teams tried to do as well with him. Um, so I would assume that that's what they're going to try to do, knowing how important he is to everything the Pacers want to do offensively. Hey, Kev, FFA, the future Farmers of America, is in town. Did they have FFA oh, yeah. at Cathedral? Uh, I don't. I, I don't think so. Right now, I, I, I mean, they I have everything else. How do they not offer FFA at Cathedral? I, you're probably talking to the wrong human here. With that, uh, your parents were your parents teachers. Your parents were teachers, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. What what Indianapolis area schools offer FFA? Do we know? I assume all of your donut counties. I don't know. Is it too like? I I don't know. Would the city schools also offer it? Let's see. Um, uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, I, I don't know. Inside Marion County, I wonder which ones would offer FFA. Yeah. Boy, those jackets, I mean, they are in full force down. I mean, pulling what, out of the parking garage, it's like you, you might spend, you might have to sit in your car for 10 minutes to get all of them past the, uh, past the sidewalk. There. 90, is it, am I totally off base on this number? Did I see it's 90,000? I think it's 90,000. Yeah. So that, uh, that sugar shack shop or whatever it is is going to be packed <laughs> at the gills all weekend long. <laughs> and they still. Were you an FFA at Eastern Green? I uh, no, I was not. Uh, but everybody else was. So I, I took Woods class. I didn't take welding. I took Woods. I made a shelf in Woods class. Yeah, I used a bandsaw. I I went to this is a true story. I was in a class with a guy that cut the tip of his index finger off on a bandsaw. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that, but uh. you can. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't the worst of his situation, unfortunately. Moving forward, well, um, so yeah, you 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 probably can, but no, yeah, yeah. with a band, a band saw is what it was. Cut it off. You certainly cut the uh, cut the tip off some other things that would be a little bit more damaging to you. So I guess if we're looking for, but he's going to be sitting on the bandsaw table or anything like that. But no, <laughs> he uh, he had a problem with that. So no F F F A. I did not have, but I do have because my my friends from Jay County way back in the day gave me um, as a gift the Jay County F F A jacket that I still hold near and dear in my closet today. Well, that's a prized possession. Yeah. I do think the jacket looks super comfy. Uh, and honestly, probably for a weekend like this, 
Yes, the uh, Linville clan, by Tom the Brady. way. Uh, Joni Linville is a big listener to all of our shows and will come out when we're um, out at the track doing stuff in Pagoda Plaza for Carb Day. I think it was Joni and some of her uh, family members that hooked me up with a J County FFA. And I love I love the blue corduroy. I don't know if you're a corduroy guy or not, but the blue corduroy yeah, is awesome. So. I've got some corduroy pants, and I've got a good friend that has uh, some in-laws in the Jay County area. That that, that to me would be, um, I would think that would be an SSA hotbed. Awesome. See, I don't know. I'm, I'm shocked that Cathedral doesn't offer FFA. I don't even know if Ron Colley does. I don't know if I've ever heard of it, so I should well, we, we call gotta, out Ron Colley. We're going to get Blake a jacket, get him walking around I, I would downtown. Bet, I would bet Franklin Central does, and I wonder if – Decatur Central does. Yeah, I would think any of your donut. I mean, I would think I don't know Plainfield, Danville, Mooresville, Lebanon. I mean, hell, Westfield. I, I don't know. Well, let me tell you this: not I, all of those. Even if you're at Warren, you're over at Warren on the east side, and you yeah, drive sure. five miles east, and you've got farmland. Yeah, you get past Post Road, and definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Just a yeah. thought. All right, what yeah, you guys got going on? Breaking down. I'm like breaking down the FFA here locally. And <laughs> what <laughs> school's out? You know, IHSA is not screen, not not, not going to be. Uh, oh, that's a big mistake. Games on TV anymore, and <laughs> let's get into the FFA uh, debate. Yeah, I would agree. And that, that is such a that is such a bad deal, and and you let people know football wise, like what three weeks before the state finals people are going to be pissed it's coming man it is coming oh yeah people are going to wake up that black friday tradition like always tune into the state final games yeah they're going to be irate uh tomorrow we are what are we doing uh recapping celtics and pacers i think we've got the charlotte observer mike k i know frank Reich fielded a lot of colts jim mercy related questions today so we will uh, chat with him about that yeah todd meyer checks in our great executive producer i was born in the uh, seat of Jay County is what he says. Todd came down here and yelled at me because I was going to give a uh, a uh, blue package analogy a little bit earlier regarding the teams around here, and he didn't want me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I can just feel him just sprinting out of his office down there. Yeah, like uh, Pig Vomit did in uh, the Howard Stern <laughs> Pig Vomit. We go knock on his door. <laughs> awesome, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll be listening in the morning, Kev. I'll see you soon. All right, John. Have a great week. Uh, it's, uh, Kevin Bowen right there. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.